Good morning, and welcome to The Morning Fix. I'm Amy Shepard, and I'm here with my co-host, Julie Dye. The Morning Fix is a podcast series brought to you by the 510K Cafe. We interview medical technology leaders to discuss trends, innovations, and the future of marketing and communications in the medtech industry. Today, we are speaking with the well-known Dr. Nishi Viswanathan. Nishi has an incredible background as a medical doctor, cancer researcher, and now business leader and entrepreneur. She currently heads up the UT Dell Med Texas Health Catalyst, a program designed to accelerate medical technology and product innovation to improve health outcomes. We are thrilled to have her here. Welcome, Nishi. So welcome, Nishi. We're so glad to have you today. Hey, thanks so much, Amy and Julie, for inviting me to Morning Fix. I'm pretty excited to be here. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for joining us, Nishi. So you are a physician by background and now an MBA and on the business and innovation side. A truly inspiring story for professionals in our field, and I'm sure people would love to know how you got here. Talk about your career evolution. Sure, sure. So you're going to regret asking that question because it's going to be a very long answer. My career has obviously taken several turns along the way. And it has been overall a mix of serendipity and purposefulness. So I did go to medical school in India, and that's where it all began. And then came to UT Austin to do some work in cancer signaling, so did some research there. And then due to personal reasons, we had to move to India for a bit. And when I was in India, I didn't come across any good opportunities in the world of life sciences or biotech. But I happened to meet a couple of American entrepreneurs who had moved there to start a B2B services company. And here is where the serendipity part plays in, right? Because I wasn't specifically looking to start a company or anything like that, but that's what ended up happening. So I co-founded this business and ran things for a few years. So it was, it was a great opportunity because I learned a lot about how to start and grow a company from scratch, right? So everything, including the marketing, sales, customer service, hiring, firing, service and product line launches and expansion. So pretty much everything, because when you're at a startup, you get involved in everything. Subsequently, after a few years of that, we got to move back to the US. And at that point, I decided to weave these disparate experiences, right? So I had clinical, I had research, I had entrepreneurship. So I wanted to do something to forge a career in the world of life sciences. And here is where the purposefulness took over, right? So I decided to take the plunge and get my MBA from McCombs, the McCombs School of Business at UT Austin. And I am a builder at heart. So even when I was at McCombs, it was no wonder that I always gravitated towards all the early stuff, right? So the early life science startups. So I worked with a bunch of them. And what happened was when I was graduating, one of them got a little bit of funding and then they brought me in as their marketing and business development lead. So this was a nanotechnology-based drug delivery platform company. And I helped launch a new product line for the research market. I built a lot of strategic partnerships for the company for our preclinical pipeline. And I was managing day-to-day operations for the startup. So I was the only business person there with four engineers, right? So as you can imagine, I was setting up trash for our company on one day. And on the next day, I was on the phone with Genentech talking about a collaboration. So it was pretty much all across the spectrum. And again, a very, very great experience there as well. 
So that was around the time that Dell Med opened its doors. So I got pretty excited about all the different possibilities. So I got in touch with Dr. Mimi Kalon, our wise dean, to set up clinical collaborations. So when I met with her, my intent was, hey, it's really hard to find clinicians to work with for our startup. Can you help? But then when I started talking to her, I learned about their vision for this new program to support early innovation. And not surprisingly, I was hooked, right? Because it took advantage of all the work that I had done before, including pulling a company out of UT Austin. So again, serendipity, right? Because I went in for something and something else happened. It was awesome again, right? Because I began at the beginning all the way from naming the program and putting out the first call for proposal. It's been a wonderful fit, both personally and professionally, in terms of being able to apply my clinical science and business background to supporting research and innovation. Yes, it sounds like your background has led you to where you are right now. And I wanted to take a look at your work with the Texas Health Catalyst and talk about it a little bit. How has it benefited Austin's growing med tech scene? Yeah, good question. So right when we started, we had two main goals for the program, right? And they have remained constant throughout the past few years. So the first one was to help translational research actually translate beyond the lab. So I like to joke that UT's motto is what starts here changes the world, but if it never leaves here, then it can never change anything, right? So our hope is to get more and more stuff outside of UT where it can grow and thrive. And the second, of course, is being a medical school to support innovation that improves the value of care and helps people get and stay healthy. So those were like our two main goals with the program. So we did know early on that none of this would be possible without getting the right experts to the table. So we needed clinicians, we needed startup CEOs, we needed regulatory experts, reimbursement specialists, IP attorneys, all at the same table, helping people think through their commercialization strategies, right? So a technology might be really, really early. It might be at the research stage, but you still need to start thinking about who will pay for this or how complicated is it to take it through the FDA. And if you don't do that, then it's really hard to plan next steps. And then you just think about the academic setting and you just keep publishing, right? That's the trap that a lot of these projects fall into. So we started building an advisory panel of experts. And now the panel has grown to 300 plus members, and this includes both clinicians and industry experts. So in the past, innovators at UT were working in this vacuum without this type of input. So this has helped them look outside of UT, but it has also helped the outside look at UT, right? So traditionally, life sciences, the industry wasn't looking into UT's capabilities and trying to support opportunities whenever appropriate. So for example, advisors assigned to a particular project have taken on leadership roles at the spin-out or have made investments in the company. So that's a great way for people to look inside and see what's happening and grab opportunities at the right time. And of course, beyond just our program, there are a bunch of other valuable programs and resources in Austin. So we were also able to have an impact on the ecosystem by connecting those various different pieces together, right? For example, if somebody needs lab space, they could come to us and we could direct them. We could say, okay, here's a developer building out lab space and you can go to them. 
So one program by itself obviously isn't going to change the world. But once you start collaborating with a bunch of upstream and downstream resources, and you have strong and up-to-date knowledge of these resources, along with the right relationships, things start to look more promising for the entire ecosystem. Nishi, that's so, so true, right? Where it's it really is a collaboration. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the beautiful thing about the work that you're doing, you know, and certainly the work that Dell Med School is doing to really look outside the walls of UT and, you know, bring in the right people to help get some of these technologies commercialized. I, by the way, I thought it's hilarious that you said that the, the theme of UT is what starts here changes the world, but only, only if people know about it, right? So I think that was really great. And, and on that note, can you tell us about any of the commercial successes or, you know, interesting stories that have come out of some of the, the work that's being done with Texas Health Catalyst? Yeah, sure. So um, one thing, of course, early on, we decided that we would not measure success merely by counting the number of startups that were created and funded, right? So yes, of course, those metrics are really important, and we do track them pretty meticulously. So for example, right now, for around $800,000 of funding provided to projects, our projects have resulted in more than 15 startups. And have brought in close to $50 million in follow-on funding. So that's pretty, like, that's impressive in itself. And several projects have taken off and raised substantial funding. And to name a few, I love all of them, right? So I don't want to be, like, partial to any particular one, but just rattling out a few uh, randomly. So we had this thin film for vaccine delivery, which is pretty relevant for today. There is a cancer therapeutic. There is an antimicrobial drug development platform laparoscopic length cleaner, a mass spec pen for tumor detection. So there have been quite a few, and many of them are also kind of raising money, and slowly they are on the path to success. But what else do we define as success for the program, right? So I said that, yeah, we had decided that it's not just going to be the number of startups and funding. So the additional aspect is that We love projects where we have been able to help create tools for clinicians to deliver better care. So for example, DelMed early on needed a software to schedule patients in the clinic so that the wait time for patients is minimized and we are still maximizing provider utilization. So we were able to support that project and that software has been used in the clinic. So that's Pretty, like I would say that makes me feel happy that we were able to contribute to something that is really being used for patient benefit. And another example like that is it's a risk benefit calculator that is used before knee replacement surgery. So the surgeon can actually sit down with the patient with this calculator and make a shared decision about what is best for the patient, right? And in some cases, what is best for the patient maybe to not have surgery at all. So just to get comfortable with that, and this is a very data-driven tool to get to that decision. So the interesting thing is that these types of innovations, they may not sound glamorous because they are not those unicorn type of projects, right? But they are really impactful for patients, and we love that. Yeah, we love that too. I mean, it's really, you know, what you're doing is impacting patient care today, right? It's not five years in the future, but it's happening today. So that's really amazing. So given the current 
world that we're living in, pandemic world, do you see specific challenges that have come up this year that are making it more challenging for startup companies in this space? Do you see any challenges, you know, that are happening now or that you can can see happening in the near future? Yeah. So interestingly, uh, like at least for us as a program, we have been pretty kind of, you know, strict with projects in the past saying that everything has to be in person, right? So for us, it has been a big shift in terms of now everything is online, right? So, but that has some pleasant side effects as well. For example, we have been contacted by potential advisors from other areas, right? We didn't have to like stick to Austin. For example, just a couple of weeks ago, a clinician from Harvard emailed us and said, hey, we read about your program and I want to be an advisor for your program. And immediately we were able to plug him into a cardiovascular technology. So that is, I would say it's a good side effect of things moving online for us. For our projects, Things are definitely a bit challenging because obviously the, you know, the research labs where most of the work is conducted. So not all our projects obviously come from research labs, but most of them do. It has been challenging to kind of like kickstart that research after everything shut down, right? So that's that's definitely, you know, affected everything. So things have slowed down in terms of the development side. But the good thing, like, again, like I always, as an optimist, I always like to look at the good part, right? So the, so the good part is that these projects and these faculty members and all the other innovators have more time now to focus on the commercialization aspects. They are now saying, oh, wow, I had never thought about this before. And I'm going to spend some time looking at the market, right? Because I'm not so kind of, I'm not putting my head down and working in the lab that much. So again, like that's that's on the positive side. And from the investor's perspective, not much has changed actually. People are still making investments. It's interesting. The one unfortunate part is that many investments are being made in projects where you already know the people or you have invested in them before. You know, so that that is of course unfortunate because Austin is still not that full-fledged ecosystem where you have, you know, repeat entrepreneurs, that many repeat entrepreneurs, right? So I would say that will definitely impact us. But since our projects are really, really early, we are not going after venture capital most of the time, right? It's it's all things like SBIR funding, angel investments, and those have pretty much continued. You know, Nietzsche, I wanted to say one of the reasons that Julie and I started this channel is is to tell the stories in our field. They feel really critically important, especially at this time. And I'm really happy. We're both really happy to be speaking with you today so we could hear about these latest innovations and inventions that might not might not go in the airplay otherwise. So I'm glad that we're talking about this today. It feels extremely important, especially as we're on the verge of emerging vaccines and medical innovations, so really, really critical work. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the growing interest in the program from students, investors, and entrepreneurs since the opening and increased presence of Dell Med School. I'm just curious how the school's evolution has made an impact. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, in fact, if you look at it with its very unique mission and capabilities, 
Delmed has become a crucial component of the local ecosystem. And when I say ecosystem, not just the industry ecosystem, right? It's such a great organization, which is very community focused. So there has been a lot of interest in areas such as value-based care, population health, community impact, and of course, innovation, right? So it's not just, you know, it's not unidimensional. The interest is from all quarters, which has been absolutely fascinating for me to watch because I was here starting like the early days of Delmed when there were very few people. In fact, I think when I joined Delmed, our all hands meetings used to happen in a conference room. So you can imagine how small Delmed was at that point. So it has been great to watch that interest. And investors, of course, you know, people who are interested in health product innovation, they are looking to enhance their pipelines and they engage with us. They do know that things are very early, but what they appreciate is the future-facing vision that we have, right? So we are not randomly investing in projects where it's the same old, same old. We are looking towards what are some trends that will hit us in the future and how do we prepare ourselves for those trends? So every project obviously gets a lot of both clinical and industry expertise that helps figure out what is going to happen, let's say three or four years from now, that will make this project or product a great opportunity. So that's, that's, you know, that's definitely happening. Of course, we also have a student associate program where students get experiential learning opportunities in health product innovation. It has been extremely successful. In fact, we have many more applicants than we have space for. And I have always enjoyed working with students, right? Because again, they are a crucial component of the whole what starts here changes the world, right? They are going to go out and change the world. And as for entrepreneurs in Austin, since Catalyst is not just open only to UP faculty, but also to local startups, we have been able to serve the community outside of UT as well. And that's that's really good for me because you know I come from that world and I myself have struggled because of the lack of support from organizations like this, right? Because there wasn't an organization like this. Now, of course, things have changed in the past few years and we have other similar programs as well, both on the inside and the outside. That's a great segue when you mentioned that, you know, organizations and companies, emerging companies outside of UT can work with the Texas Health Catalyst Program. And so I'd love to hear your advice on, how a company who has an idea or how an entrepreneur who is, you know, working on a concept, how can they get involved with THC? Yeah, so um, obviously, I think one one big question that we can help answer because of our expertise sometimes is, should this even be done, right? Because there is an opportunity cost for everybody's time, whether you're an entrepreneur or a large company. So it doesn't matter what your size is, but it's very important to figure out in the beginning, am I solving a real problem and does anybody care, right? So we can definitely partner with these, both entrepreneurs as well as large companies where they are developing a new product line where we can help them ask questions like, who will pay for this? If you build this, then will clinicians adopt it, right? Not just pay for it, but also adopt it on a day-to-day basis because does it fit into their workflow? For example, How does it fit into their workflow and how do they see a use case for a product like that? And how do we start testing and validating for that use case? So there are a lot of questions that we can ask 
very early on. And we would love to partner with uh, companies, both small and big, to help with those aspects. Because in the end, that results in a better product for everyone, right? So not just the company, but also patients and the population. So for potential applicants, the process is pretty selective. We are a very small program, right? So obviously, our process has to be very selective because we cannot support everyone. But we strive to add value and provide feedback to every single applicant, uh, whether or not they advance in our process. So in fact, interestingly, one of our previous applicants said, I have never received so much support from a program that I was rejected from. So my advice would be, when in doubt, go ahead and apply anyway, because you may be pleasantly surprised by some of the unique connections that get formed as a result of engaging with the program. And sometimes even that initial feedback that multi-dimensional feedback that you're getting from our clinical and industry experts, that can help set you in the right direction. Nishi, that's great advice for those looking to get involved in Texas Health Catalyst and other organizations that are similar. At this point, we typically, Nishi, have one more last parting question for our guests, sort of a fun question. Since you are here on the Morning Fix podcast, we would love to know what you do for your Morning Fix. Hmm. <laughs> Obviously, everybody probably has coffee, right? So that's, that's, you know, I definitely, that's my first thing that I do when I wake up. But the first thing in terms of my morning fix is I check my WhatsApp messages. And WhatsApp is it's a Snapchat-like app that's used widely in Asia, Europe, and South America mostly. And doing that helps me stay in touch with my family and friends back in India, right? So Uh, People in India actually use WhatsApp quite a bit to communicate with their friends and families. And there are, of course, lots of funny and inspirational forwards. So I don't get to all of them, but starting the day with a joke, right? Even though like it might be something silly, that still helps set it on, like that sets the right tone for the whole day, right? You know what, Nishi, I I love that story. We've had we haven't had that one yet. We've had walking the dog, of course, espresso, coffee drinking, exercising, running, yoga, meditation, but never, never WhatsApping. And so that that's that's an original one. I love it. <laughs> I guess I'm too lazy to step outside in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm with you. I, I'm with you. My days start early as well. So coffee, coffee it is for me, but Nishi, thank you so much. Thank you for your for your feedback and your insight. This was a great chat. You've done a lot for, for the Austin health tech space, and, and we really appreciate you sharing your time and your thoughts. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We hope you've been enjoying this series so far. Please be on the lookout for more interviews from medical technology leaders, and thanks for tuning into The Morning Fix.